welcome to Season 2 of the Let's Talk Wrestling Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kelby Bachman. If you haven't already, go check out my new website. You can view the latest episode, fan favorites, and even submit a question to future guests. You can visit the website at letstalkwrestlingpodcast.my.canva.site. You can also find the link in the show notes. The song you just heard is Sky is the Limit by Revolution, and it is the walkout song for the next guest on the show, Skylar Grote. Skylar is one of the top women freestyle wrestlers at 76 kilograms. She won the U.S. Open in 2022 and placed second at the World Team Trials that same year. However, she's made even bigger gains in her mental game. In this episode, we cover the struggles she went through and how she's overcome them to get to where she is today. Lastly, Skylar has started her own podcast titled Life as a Female Wrestler. In it, she goes into even more depth of what she's endured as a senior level wrestler and how she's handled it, both in good ways and bad. You can find her podcast on Spotify, and I have also posted a link to it in the show notes. With that being said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy Skylar Grote. How was Egypt? Hmm, I didn't like it. Really? Yeah, it's like, it's a very poor country. Um, yeah. So it's pretty sad. Like, there, I've never really been somewhere where, like, young children were coming up to me and, like, begging me. And in Egypt, I had, like, four-year-olds, like, begging me for money. And it was just, like, sad. It's like... Wow you're trying to tour and it's just like, you know, you see little kids begging you for money. So, and it was just super poor. Like I was just kind of shocked at how poor it really was. Um, but I mean, if you go into like where the pyramids are, it's a little better yeah. but where we were staying, staying in Alexandria. If you drove like off of the hotel, um, premises, it, it was just like insanely poor, just, yeah just trash everywhere and um so and i didn't wrestle well in egypt but i got friggin uh like water poisoned what I, I didn't know you weren't supposed to drink the water and so i drank the water and i got food poisoning or water poisoning whatever you want to call it so i was like violently ill like as soon as after i wrestled like two hours later i got violently ill for like four days Dang, really? Yeah. So from that drinking was, water? It's from drinking the water. Yeah. So that was not good. Um, I probably like, they even, they said even like brushing your teeth with the water is like a no go. So I made a lot of mistakes because I drank the water the first day and I was brushing my teeth the whole time with the water. So mm -hmm. my body's just like super sensitive to anything. And I feel like people probably think I'm a drama queen, but it's like, Literally, like when I got to Colorado, instantly I got like a horrible migraine because it's just like the altitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just like my body's like so sensitive to legit everything. Like it doesn't matter. It's just I mean, I guess it's a good thing because my body's telling me something's wrong. But at the same time, it's like it sucks because I get sick really easily. And um so yeah, Egypt was not fun for me. I'm some a couple other people got pretty violently ill as well, but of course, of course I did too. Yeah, yeah, and it's probably not good when you're going all over the world wrestling. You're exposed to a lot of different things, so you probably you probably just get sick wherever you go. Yeah, and <laughs> before Egypt, I had gone to Croatia like two weeks before that, and then we did a camp in Hungary. 
So then I was on the East Coast for like five days and then had to go back to Egypt. So my circadian rhythm got thrown off too. So my circadian rhythm, like my sleep. Oh, what's it? What'd you call it? Circadian rhythm? Yeah, that's what it's called. I've never heard that. Really? Yeah. It's like your wake sleep cycle. So then I went back to Egypt and the day before the tournament, I didn't sleep for three days. And when I mean, I didn't sleep for three days. Like I did not sleep for one hour for three days. And then I had to compete and I was like, so exhausted. And I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I think it was just from going from all different time zones. My body just got thrown out of whack and it didn't know when to sleep and when to be awake. And so it was just like that on top of being sick. And then on top of that, I went up a weight class. So it was like all those factors put together, like the anxieties of going up and just not sleeping and then being sick. It was just, it was definitely rough, but um, yeah. So Egypt wasn't great for me, but Croatia was fun. I mean, I won, I won Croatia and I wrestled well there. Um, So that was good, but yeah your second episode of your podcast was about um caring what other caring less about what other people think right um and uh i still struggle like with that to this day you know you talked about walking into a room and just being so anxious like it's something on my pants like what if i do this or whatever and i'm like no, i do that like i did that my own you know when i start a new job like yeah. I, oh my gosh like i hope these guys like me you know, and then you said, knowing I would waste my, what changed your mind was knowing I would waste my whole life and happiness trying to change how others see me. And that was kind of your turning point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think because you just come to the realization that if you please one person, um, it's not going to please another person because we're all so different and we all have different tastes and preferences. So if you go out of your way to try to please you know, someone or a group of people, you're going to upset another group of people. So it's just kind of like this never ending cycle of trying to please others. And I think a lot of my life, I tried to be like perfect because I wanted everybody to see me as this perfect person. And then I realized that everybody's definition of perfect or close to perfect is different. So if I just try to please one person, I'm going to upset somebody else. And I just realized it was kind of like an endless cycle. So if I can please myself, that's like the only person that is possible, honestly, to please. Um, So I just started, you know, being the person that I wanted to be and the person that I thought was, you know, best Um, and perfect doesn't exist. So, you know, I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to, as long as I learn from those mistakes, that's what, you know, makes me the person that I'm going to be. So I think it took a long time to learn that. And I don't even want to say that, that that's who I am. And I tried to please other people all the time. Like, I don't think that we have complete control over, you know, our thoughts really, because um, they're kind of cultivated by like our environment. Right. So, um, some of the things that we think we would never think if we weren't Mm. born into the environment that we're born into. So I think that, um, we may not have like full control over our thoughts, but I think that we do and can gain control over like awareness and being like, okay, well, why am I thinking this way? Like what experiences have led me to think this way and is thinking this way, like 
really who I want to be in a sense, because I had a lot of thoughts that I don't think were really mine. I think that they were kind of influenced by, you know, my life experiences, people around me, like all of that has an impact on, you know, what you think and how you behave. And so I think a turning point for me was just like becoming aware of those thoughts and being aware of why I think the way I think and why I behave the way I behave and really like questioning whether that's who I want to continue to be Mm. and who, like how I want to continue to think. And I think a lot of, you know, how I used to operate, I didn't like, and I wanted to change. And so I think the last year I have spent considerable amounts of time kind of evaluating why I am the way I am and um, who I want to be and trying to navigate those two things. Um, But change is hard and Especially when you've gone so much of your life thinking a certain way and behaving a certain way, like it is not easy to change. Like, I feel like a lot of people aren't even aware um, that they should change or, you know, that they need to change. And I think that awareness was like one of the biggest, you know, turning points in my life. And it didn't happen until I was 25 years old. So I went a lot of my life not being aware of my actions and aware of my thoughts and how those could be self-destructive, so. Yeah, well, my first question is, um, how did you become to that realization? You you said that it's really hard and we're like almost a product, product of our environment. And so yeah. it's hard to come to that realization. So how did you come to that yourself? Uh, to be honest, like I kind of had like an awakening and I'm not very like spiritual and stuff, but um I last year I just kind of hit like a really low low and just kind of had this awakening and I didn't even really know what was happening to me but it was just like I was repeating the same mistakes over and over again and I just felt like something was just like you gotta stop like you've got to change as a person you gotta change like your thoughts your actions your behaviors um and I think that I actually saw Nashawn Garrett post this um, on his Instagram and it was like a lot of people think like life is happening to them instead of like life is happening for them. And I think before like I had that awakening, it was like I felt like life was happening to me all the time and not for me. So every bad thing that happened in my life, I was just kind of like, oh, this sucks. Like this is so unfortunate, like feel bad for me, essentially. Um, and you know, after the awakening, I was like, you know what, like life is actually happening for me and, um, yeah, bad things happen to everything and everybody and everybody goes through hard times. But if you put like a positive twist on it and look at it as like, okay, this is going to make me stronger or, you know, this is happening for a reason and this is leading me to a different outcome. I think it totally changes you know, your perspective on life. And for me, I just, I wouldn't say I was a negative person, but, you know, it was very easy to, you know, get my mind um, down the wrong path. Like if one thing went bad, I just kind of spiraled into this, you know, my life sucks kind of mindset. Um, So 
I really had to change that about myself and um, put a positive spin on everything, no matter how tough the situation. And yeah, I think that I had to hit a really low low in order to figure that out. And I don't think anybody could have pressed it on me. I don't think anybody could have forced me to change or told me that I needed to change. I think that I honestly really needed to hit that low in order to change myself. Um, and that's kind of how I started changing my behavior and changing my thoughts and really reading into, you know, how our thoughts kind of determine our reality. And um, I think that's very, very true. And I didn't really know the power of our thoughts before last year. So. Doesn't that suck? It just sucks yeah. like you have to hit, you know, rock bottom. You have to just be in this low point in order to realize you need to change. I mean, and especially for you, someone who's had success, you know, wrestling and competing, you know, people are like, and what, what do you, you know, kind of like, what do you have to be upset about because you're so good and you've had success, you know, it can be even more difficult because you have so much to quote unquote, be grateful for, you know? Yeah, I think another thing that I learned regarding that, too, is everybody's life is hard. Like, it doesn't matter if you're Kim Kardashian and you have millions of dollars. Like, we all have our own problems. And, yeah, do some people have bigger problems than others? Of course, of course. But we all have things to deal with. And um I think pain is pain, like regardless. And I think hardship is hardship regardless. Like, I think we all deal with things that other people may not deal with or not know that we deal with. Um, and so, yeah, I'm sure there's people that have looked at my wrestling career and been like, oh, she's, you know, successful. You know, she's got a great family, this and that. And that is all true. But I still have, you know, demons that I fight and I still have problems that um are my problems and my problems might not be as significant as somebody else but they're still problems and mm -hmm. I still have to deal with them and um I don't think other people know yeah they don't they don't know my problems just like I don't know your problems I don't know what you deal with and I don't know how hard it is for you like you might deal with something that for me is easy and doesn't isn't a problem for me. And I think that people don't really understand that because it's hard to understand something that you don't go through. It's really hard to understand something that you don't go through. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just try to be open about my problems because I think that when I was younger, as a young female wrestler, I looked at my role models and, you know, social media wasn't big and people didn't really talk about issues and mental health and stuff. But I just remember looking at them and being like, oh my gosh, they're superheroes. Like they don't have any problems. They win all the time. They're not nervous to go out there and compete. Like, oh my gosh, I'll never have that. Like I'll never have what it takes to be, you know, a champion or whatever, because I, you know, I have all these things that I deal with in my head. And um, I think that I just started to be open about them because I wish that I had that when I was growing up, I wish I had someone that talked about that stuff because then I feel like I wouldn't have felt so alone and I wouldn't have felt like I was different. Um, and I would have been like, Oh, okay. This person has so much success, but you know, they still deal with 
you know, insecurity and they still deal with uh, self-doubt. And I think that if I had that, it would have changed a lot of my thoughts and it would have made me feel a lot less alone. Um, So, you know, I think that in life, we should all strive to be the person that we wish we had. And I think that that's kind of like my goal as a role model. Like I want to be who like eight-year-old Sky needed. And um, I'll be happy with my life and with who I am if I can be, you know, that person for, you know, younger me. Wow. I mean, that takes a lot of courage to do that. And so with all these things that you're talking about, like anxiety of what other people think for you to like kind of cross that bridge and to be open and vulnerable, that had to be, that had to be really tough. Like I can't imagine. Yeah. It's super tough. I mean, like even vulnerable, put yourself out there. Like, yeah. Even on like my podcasts, like sometimes I'm just like, Oh gosh, people are going to like judge me for saying this or people are going to be like, why is she talking about these? Or, Oh, she's such like a drama queen and this and that. But I'm like, I've talked to so many people and they have the same feelings and they have the same thoughts and they think the same way. And they've gone through, you know, horrible struggles that other people don't know about. And so, yeah, of course I'm going to get the people that are like, Oh, she just needs to tough it out. And this is crazy that she's talking about this or whatever. Of course I'm going to have those people and that's fine. But I'm also going to have the people that listen to my podcast and are like, Oh my gosh, this girl is literally talking about everything I feel. And, you know, she's gone through similar things to me and I feel less alone and that's going to trump any, person that judges me for, you know, what I'm open about and what I talk about. And, you know, those people that are going to judge it and say, you know, that I'm too open or that I'm too much of a drama queen or whatever. I'm so glad that you haven't gone through the stuff that I talk about. I'm so glad that you've never walked into a room and felt like crippling anxiety. Like, I'm so happy that you haven't gone seven years of your life, like worried about your body image and about scared of food, like congratulations, because I am so happy you haven't had to deal with that. But there are people that have had to deal with that. And it's scary. And it's lonely. And I think that having a community and having other people talk about it really helps. That's the only thing that helped me. Um, So, you know, I kind of just put those haters to the side and just remind myself that I'm benefiting more people um, than I'm upsetting. And to me, that's like a win any day. If I can pull one person out of that mental space that I used to be in, then I've done my job. Yeah. uh, Yes to all that. Um, The other thing I was thinking about, too, was there really are no female wrestling podcaster. Like, I think you're the only one I can think of, you know? So I think it's going to be extremely beneficial and extremely helpful for women, you know, female wrestlers to listen. I mean, I bring female, I've had a few female wrestling guests on my podcast, but it's so different to have a female driven wrestling podcast. You know, you're going to get drawn into so many wrestlers. It's going to be awesome. You know? I'm excited. I know you're just getting going, but as <laughs> this might sound cheesy, but the sky's the limit, huh? Right? Yeah, no, it is. It's funny because 
I had a coach uh, when I wrestled Fargo and he like said that. And I was like, wait, that could be like my little logo thing. And he was like, yeah, like when you were the Olympics one day, like that should be your thing. And so ever since Fargo, my junior year, I've carried sky is the limit. So I have sky is the limit on everything. <laughs> and it's it fits perfectly and I love it. So, but really the sky is the limit. And I think sometimes, you know, we do put limitations on ourselves and I've done that for sure. You know, I'm like, I can't start a podcast. I can't do this. I can't do that. And then one day I was just like, I want to start a podcast. Like I'm going to do it. Like I just need to sit down and just, sometimes you just have to sit down and just like do what you haven't done. And, um, I put it off for so long and then I just, it was like a random Sunday or something. And I was like, you know what? I'm doing it. I'm going to start this <laughs> podcast and it's going to be great. So, um, yeah. And I'm looking forward to bringing people on it too. Like I'm going to have lots of special guests, people that I've met just through my experiences and through my struggles. Like I met this one girl on TikTok that has been like through a lot of the same struggles I've been through. So I'm, she hasn't wrestled, but I'm going to bring her on and like have her talk about, you know, her perspective. And then um, I have a couple other guests that I'm looking forward to bringing on and having them share, you know, their opinions and stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for it. I've got a lot of, a lot more topics to talk about as well. Well, you know, it's called life as a female wrestler. Um, but a lot of the things that you're probably going to talk about, you know, body image, uh, that's not just a wrestling female wrestler issue. Yeah. Like a lot of females and women can relate to that no matter if you're wrestling. And I think that like, although my podcast is life of a female wrestler, like I encourage all wrestlers to listen to it because I think that it benefits the men just as much. Like, it's not like I'm on there talking about all female stuff. Like I think everything that I talked about thus far, um, you know, includes men as well. For and sure. I'm not really looking to dive into just like the female aspect of wrestling. Like sure. I'll mention it. Um, which I also think is important for men to listen to too, because who knows you, they might be coaching women one day. Um, and I think that, so listening to what I have to say about, you know, yeah, we randomly gain six pounds in a day sometimes in the middle of the month or whatever. Like, I think that's beneficial for them to hear too, because they're hearing it from, you know, someone on the senior level who's like, yeah, this is true. Like your athletes not making this up. And so I think that it's important for their men to listen to it too. And I think that they benefit from it as well, especially in the body image talk. Like I've had a lot of male wrestlers reach out to me and say, you know, it's not just women. Like we struggle with body image too. And, you know, they're less willing to talk about it because of the shame and the guilt that comes with it. And because of, you know, just kind of the culture in wrestling, like suck it up, like put your head down and just don't talk about it and whatever. But, you know, I've had a lot of friends reach out to me and say, yeah, like I've gone through eating disorders. I've gone through body image issues. Like I've gone through all of that. Um, but they're ashamed to talk about it on a public platform because it's scary and it is scary. Um, it's very, very scary. And um, I think just like everything that 
I kind of went through regarding body image and eating problems, I was just like, there's nothing that could be worse. Like me talking about it, like, sure, it was scary at first, but at the end of the day, like once you've like really suffered, other things become like less scary. Like, it's just kind of like, this is not the worst thing that can happen to me. Um, so And then when I just started talking about it, it was like, I got all these people that were like me too. And I was just kind of like, I, like, I want to change this. I want to change, um, you know, how, how this is happening, especially for like the young girls coming up, like women's wrestling is the fastest growing sport. And we're going to have a lot of young girls in this sport. And if we can mitigate kind of the pressure that we put on them, um, I think it's important. And I think that, um, you know, it's kind of like my purpose to help with that. Yeah. It's bittersweet, you know, um, because you put yourself out there and it's bittersweet because people are coming up and saying, Hey, I've been through that too. So you don't feel so alone, but then you're also on the other end going, Oh, I'm so sorry. You had to go through that. Cause it sucks. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It, it definitely sucks. And you know, I don't think people realize the degree of how it affects people. And um, for me, like, I mean, I've always kind of been a little more sensitive and it really affected me. And, you know, people would say, oh, you're so sensitive. You're this, you're that. But it's like, I've kind of embraced being sensitive because that makes me the person that I am. Like, I wouldn't be as loving and, hmm. you know, have those attributes of mine if I wasn't so sensitive. So I've just kind of learned to embrace that part of me and, you know, ex- accept that part of me. I think that acceptance is really important and accepting who you are and working with who you are, um, I think is also, you know, an important thing to learn. But yeah, I, I mean, definitely things in the wrestling world have affected me greatly that may have not affected somebody else to the same degree. But, you know, we all have different experiences and we all have different personalities and we all have different thoughts and we're all so different. And um, something that doesn't affect somebody else might deeply affect me and vice versa. So um, I think it's really important to kind of like learn yourself and figure out if, you know, you can help others, if other people are similar to you and sharing your experiences. And that's kind of like what I've done last year. So. Yeah. You had a lengthy Instagram post. Um, I think it was kind of your coming out party or if you will, like it said, um, what you've learned in the last 14 months after going through many body changes, um, you know, first appreciate again, all this that you're talking about, Cause it's, it is very difficult. Um, but that was kind of like, you're opening up the floodgates. Like, okay, I'm going to do this. How hard was it to like push send or, you know, like, did you have that in your drafts for a while before you find Yeah. Well, so a year and a half ago, I, so I would always sit at like 73 kilos and, um, I was dieting pretty heavy to sit there. So I think it's like 161. Um, and it took a lot of like discipline to be at 73 kilos. And then I would always make the cut to 68, which like five kilos, like it's not awful. But, um, when I was holding my weight at 73, it it was hard because it was like, I was already dieting. So then to make 68, it was more like, okay, now I kind of have to starve myself to get to 68. Um, and then I had to make the decision to go 72 or 
65 for the world team trials two years ago. And so I decided to go down to 65 because Mensa had a spot at 68 and I was weighing at the time like 158, which is like 72 kilos. But little did I know that that was like under my natural weight already. Um, so I pushed my body down to 65 kilos and, um, I lost my ability to feel full for about a year. Um, so I was waking up in the middle of the night, like three to six times. I would say I went through a period of time, like three months where I didn't get more than three hours of sleep a night. Um, and then I legit could not feel full to the point that like you could give me two peanut butter jars and I could eat both and my stomach would still be growling. And so I had never gone through something like that in my life. Like I had made 68 kilos all the time. And yeah, of course, like post-tournament, I would have a couple of days where I binged, but I would feel full. Like I would binge after I wrestled like every wrestler does, but physically I would feel full. <laughs> and this was so different. I physically was not feeling full for so long. And I just like mentally was just going insane because it's like when you can go out to breakfast with your parents and you can eat everybody's meal and still not feel full how are you mentally supposed to be okay and how are you mentally supposed to be okay when you're not sleeping and you're waking up in the middle of the night to eat i went from like this normal person who slept you know eight hours a night without waking up to this girl who was waking up three to four times in the middle of night eating and it's like i just I was like, am I an emotional eater? Am I, you know, am I eating because I just want to eat? And I just couldn't figure out like what was wrong with me. And I did a lot of research on it and um, I had to figure it out. Cause I was like, I can't go the rest of my life waking up in the middle of the night to eat and not feeling full. And essentially what I learned is like my body was just below where it wanted to be weight wise. And it wasn't going to stop until I got to the weight that it deemed healthy for me. And so basically the answer was to keep eating until I hit that weight. And so I hit about like 170, like 168, 170 and my body settled and it didn't matter how much I ate. Like I was not getting above 170. It kind of maxed out right there. Um, And so then I was like, okay, I'll go 72 kilos because, you know, that's not that much of a cut. It was like 10 pounds. And I assumed that some of it was going to come off because, you know, I was eating a lot. So um, eventually, like when my hunger decreased, it did come off and I got sitting at like 164, 165. So I only had like a six pound cut. But then I started cutting down to 72. And the last time I cut to 72, it threw my body back in that cycle. And so then I hit like 83 kilos, I think. And I had to sit at like 83 kilos for like three months before my body started like coming back down to like its normal set point of like 170. And so I was sitting at like, I think it's like 183, I don't even know, 183 or something. And I was like, I have literally gone from 148 because that's, where I got sitting for 65, I went from 148 to 183 in the span of like 14 months. And just like the thoughts going through my head were just like, oh my gosh, like I'm a binge eater. Oh my gosh, I 
like have no self-control, like what is going on? And, you know, none of that was true. It was just my, my body had had enough of cutting weight. Um, I'm a female. And so when you threaten the system of, you know, I'm meant to have children, like that's, I'm first, I kind of say to myself all the time, like I'm first a woman and second, a wrestler. And I have to remind myself of that. Like my body is a woman's body and it wants me to, you know, be able to have children and stuff. And so when I threaten the system of going, you know, below 18% body fat, because that's the minimum that my body likes to be, I threaten the system and it went the opposite direction. And it took time for, you know, that pendulum to come back and settle in the middle of where it wanted to be. Um, but yeah, there were a lot of like thoughts and a lot of things that I was told that made the process even harder. I think that if I didn't believe the stuff I already believed, it would have been so easy because it would have just been like, oh, my body, you know, it's figuring itself out and it'll come back down to where it's meant to be. But there were so many pressures of like, I can't be over 150 as a woman. I need to be 18% body fat as an elite athlete. Like I had all these beliefs just kind of like screaming at me during this process. Like you can't eat that. Like it's too high fat or it has too much sugar. Like, what are you doing? But like, I'm really craving this. Like I need this because it's going to give me energy. So during that time, I was just like at a really low point because I didn't know what to do. I didn't, nobody really talks about this. Like I've never heard someone talk about losing their ability to feel full for months on end. And so I felt very, very alone. Um, and I mean, my dad's a doctor and he never even heard of this. So not only was I going through it myself, but medical doctors didn't even know what was happening to me. And so I felt like a crazy person because I'm just like, no, this is legit. Like this is actually happening to me. Um, and I had to figure it out myself. I had to do all this research myself. And so I spent hours and hours and hours researching all of this. And, um, I've learned a lot. I mean, I could tell you exactly why it happened. I could tell you all the things in the human body that makes it happen. Um, so I guess at the end of the day, I've learned a lot and I'll be able to help others, but the process was horrible and I was very, very much alone in it. Were you competing during this whole time? Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. So I would go like, I was wrestling 72. Um, and obviously that was bigger than I had wrestled previously because I was at 65, but I mean, that wasn't my actual weight. That was just one tournament, but I had always competed at 68. I never competed bigger than 68. So now I was competing at 72, but, and my body did settle like 77 kilos. So 72 is not horrible when you put it into perspective, but when your body hasn't finished the process of like deeming that it's safe, Mm -hmm it's trouble because you're just putting your body right back into the cycle. So it was like, my body hadn't finished that process and I was making 72 over and over and over again. And so it was freaking out again. Cause it's like, I started going into like a calorie deficit and it was like, Oh, not this again. Like it was just, mm. it was very sensitive and um, trying to control my weight while I was in that process was like one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because it was just like, I was hungry all the time. And I, 
am the type of person that I am always on top of my stuff. I'm always on top of my weight. I I was like that, you know, my whole life. I'm always on top of my schoolwork. Like I've always been a straight A student. Um, I've never cut more than two kilos ever for wrestling. I always, even for 68, like I would always get sitting at like 70 the week before I competed because I did not want to cut more than four and a half pounds in a, in a week. So I was super like regimented and super anal about that stuff. And here I am cutting like sometimes four kilos the day before I competed, but I didn't have control over it because it was just like, it was either cut four kilos, you know, a couple of days before I competed or not sleep you know, like go the whole week before I competed without sleeping because I was so dang hungry. And so that was the trade-off, like cut water or go the week without sleeping. And so, yeah, it was really mentally difficult and, um, it was not fun. And then I had to make the decision, you know, do I go up to 76 for the Olympic year or do I go to 68? And, um, the fact that that was even 68 was even a, question to me is just insane because I can't do that to myself anymore. Like it's kind of like Skylar, like learn your lesson. Like you can't, you can't do it. Like 72 was hard for you. And, you know, I think that the obvious answer was go up to 76, but there were a lot of unknowns for me. It's like, okay, well, how much stronger can I get? Do I have the physical ability to be strong at 76? Like, is it in my genetics to get bigger? Um, And then apart from even that, it was like I struggled with body image my whole life, essentially. So, you know, seeing a bigger number on the scale was so scary. Like I was literally terrified of gaining a pound. And I don't think people like realize that, but like, I was terrified of gaining a pound and I was so strict on my diet all the time that food scared me as well. Like I couldn't eat anything really bad for me. I couldn't go out to eat without having anxiety about how many calories were in my food or how much weight the meal was going to make me gain. Like there was so much mental space taken up by that, that it started like controlling my life. And, um, People are just like, oh, it's mental. It's mental. Our brains are like supercomputers. So I programmed my brain to think that way for seven years or whatever. And I don't think that that was like fully my fault. Like it, it was kind of like built up over experiences, things I've been told. Like I was programmed to operate that way. And I had to unpack that over the last year because it's not like you can just, you know, snap your fingers and I'm no longer afraid of food. Like the way the brain works is it it learns and it takes time to learn and it also takes time to unlearn. And I love explaining it when people like don't get it and they're like, oh, it's just mental, Skylar. Like how you think about food, like all of that is mental. Yeah, it's mental, but just because it's mental doesn't mean it's controllable. And when you've gone so long programming yourself like this, it takes time to unpack. And like, I really believe like time does heal all, but um, yeah. So when I was going through this process and people were telling me like, oh, it's just, it's mental. Like, you know, it's in your control kind of, I'm like, do you know how to drive? This is the question I asked them. They're like, yeah, of course I know how to drive. All right. Forget how to drive. Go ahead. 
forget how to drive. You can't. Mm -hmm. Why can you not forget how to drive? Because it's become such a habit and it's something that you've learned over time. And it's something that's very automatic for you. And that was my reality. I was counting calories for so long. I was anxious about going out to eat for so long. I was so regimented and anal for so long. I could not forget how to do it. And the best way to forget how to drive is probably to not drive, right? Mm -hmm. So the best way to, you know, not think about food 24-7 and not to be so anxious about food is probably to eat. And it's probably to like let go of the control and do the opposite of what I've been doing. And that was the only thing that could cure me. The only thing that was able to help me and, you know, fix my mental space was to do the opposite of what I had been doing. And so in order to not be afraid to go out to eat, I had to go out to eat. Like that was the answer to, in order to not be afraid of, you know, food was to eat food and not care about the calories and stuff. And the only way to not think about, oh my gosh, I ate 1200 calories before practice. Okay. I need to wrestle and do, you know, cardio session after that to burn it off. The only way to get all of those thoughts out of my head was to stop counting calories, to stop working out, you know, to burn off calories. And, um, yeah. So I had to figure this out all on my own. I, I did a lot of research in, on how the brain works and, you know, kind of the psychology behind it. And um, yeah, it, it was a lot of research and I had to do it all myself because nobody knew how to heal me. And I had to take it in my own hands and heal myself. And um, I'm glad I did because I learned a lot. And I think that, um, you know, I think a lot of people probably struggle with this their whole life. And I was really fortunate to go through what I went through so I could figure it out and heal from it now. And um, I'm happy I did because I can't imagine being 40 and being afraid to go out to eat. Like, it's just, just the thought of that just makes me so grateful that I was able to figure it out. This is all... To me, this is all just unbelievable and, and exhausting, unbelievable. Um, I, I just can't believe, like, we're so, I'm so happy you did this. <laughs> you know, like you went, like, I'm not happy you went through all this, obviously, but to come out on the other end, I mean, because now we, somebody has somebody to reference, you know, unfortunately you were kind of, uh, if you will, the guinea pig, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely felt felt like, but I think the best thing for me was when I was doing all this research, like I found people that went through exactly what I went through and they weren't wrestlers. They were like mostly normal people, but they were talking about the same stuff that I had been through. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this person is talking exactly, you know, my, of my experience. And, um, so I was able to talk to a couple of them and that really like healed me, like other people's experiences and other people's um, struggles like healed me. And it confirms that, you know, I'm not alone in this and somebody else can help guide me through this. Um, and that was extremely helpful um, to getting me to where I am right now, because I don't think that I would be where I am right now without some guidance. I didn't know what to do 
And I had all of these like toxic thoughts and behaviors that were just progressing my sickness, honestly. And, um, I didn't know how to recover. Um, so having those people, even if it was, you know, just on the internet and I didn't even know them just reading about what they did to kind of come out of it really helped me. Cause I was like, you know what, I'm going to try that. Like I'm going to listen to what they did to recover and maybe it'll help me. And sure enough, it did. It did. Um, so I was really grateful for that. And then I just kind of said to myself, you know, like I want to talk about my experience because I'm sure there's other people going through what I went through. And I'm sure that, you know, my experiences will be able to help other people. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really rough. It was a really rough time for me. Um, and I feel very fortunate though. And I feel very free and I feel very, like I figured out who I am as a person and who I want to be. I think that, um, you know, I was someone before who was so influenced by their environment and other people that I was almost a person that had no control over who they were. And I feel like now I have control over who I am and I'm less impacted by um, my external environment, whether you know, it's, you know, it's people, circumstances, I'm able to gain control over my responses to that external environment. And I honestly, I think I said in my podcast, it feels like a superpower. It feels like, you know, someone says something negative to me or about me. And I am so confident in who I am as a person that it no longer bothers me that much. Like, of course, hurtful things will bother you like a little bit. Um, but I never thought that I would come to a point where it didn't control me. Someone says something bad about me. Yeah. Maybe I spend an hour or two on it. Maybe I spend a day on it upset, but then I'm over it. Like old Skylar used to spend like weeks upset about something somebody said about me. Um, so just the growth in that sense of being able to be so like confident and secure with who I am as a person that other things don't bother me as much. It just feels like I have acquired a superpower. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, gosh, we're, we're so fortunate as a wrestling community to have somebody like you in it to continue to like talk about this um, because there had to be times as you were talking about all these things that you were going through, I'm like, geez, why didn't you just quit? Oh, <laughs> what? I, I was quit. close. What the heck? Oh, trust me. Like if you are in, if you were a fly on the wall, if you were a fly on the wall in my house, when I was going through all of this, I was just like, like it honestly makes me upset to even talk about. Cause it was just like the mental space that I was in was so bad. And just like, I felt like, the wrestling, I, I was mad. I was mad at wrestling. I was mad at, you know, the sport. I was mad at the culture. I was mad at so much because it just like, I felt like it kind of like ruined me as a person. I was just like, it, and whether that be true or not, I think there's positives and negatives to everything mm -hmm. in life. But in that moment, I was just so mad. I was mad that, you know, I had cut so much weight. I was mad at the way wrestling culture has 
you know, made me feel. And, um, I just kind of said to my parents, like, I'm never wrestling again. Like I am done. Like the fact that I have lost my ability to feel full, like I'm done. Like it's, it's ruining my life. It's ruining, you know, my relationship with my body. It's ruining my relationship with food. Like I was at such a low point that I a hundred percent told my parents, this is it. Like this was the last straw. Um, and now looking back, like, was that dramatic? Yeah, probably a little dramatic, but for what I had gone through, it wasn't, Mm -hmm. I think most people, if they lost their ability to feel full for a year on end, I think most people would probably quit too. So, but now that I'm at my healthy weight and I got to the other side of it, and I'm healthier mentally and physically and all of that good stuff. Now I can look back and be like, you know what? I went through that for a reason because it was leading me somewhere bigger and it was leading me to a happier life. Like, of course, now I can look back and understand that. And I think the lesson that this has taught me is that like the hardships happen because it's leading you to something greater. It, it really is. And I don't think that there's ever been anything in my life that I look back on and I'm like, that didn't happen for a reason. Um, like, I think everything happens for a reason. And I think that when you go through life, believing that it makes things a lot simpler. And um, I think it's true. I do. Um, I think that that saying is very accurate and it's proven true for me at least but yeah I mean I'm not gonna lie there were many times that I wanted to quit wrestling um many 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 times um but I'm happy that I never did I'm happy that I did persevere I'm happy that I've had my parents in my life and my friends in my life to keep me from quitting because I think that if it was up to me I probably would have quit already but you know I think my parents and my friends and my family see how much I love the sport and they've known that every time I think about quitting, it's always for the wrong reason. Um, and they just like kind of remind me of that, like Skylar, you're not quitting because you hate wrestling. Like you're quitting because of some other issue. Um, and that, that is true. I've never wanted to quit wrestling because I'm like, I hate this sport. I look forward to practice every single day. Like I, I said to one of my friends not too long ago, I was like, you know, how often do you like not want to practice? And they said something like, Oh, like once a week or whatever. I'm like, I literally only not want to practice like once every like three months. Like I'm so, so fortunate to love this sport so much that I always want to do it. And I always want to practice and I always want to compete. So I think that, um, yeah, I, I'm just really grateful that I have people in my life to, kind of keep me on the right path when I start to like veer off of it. Um, and they, they know me well enough to know that I, I would quit wrestling for the wrong reasons. So I guess that begs me the question, why didn't you quit? What made you keep going and keep going to practice? You're dealing with all of this stuff, but yet you're still able to go wrestle and compete. Yeah, I think that, like I said, having the people in my life that encourage me to keep going. Uh, I think that my parents, for sure, you know, 
they're always right there through thick and thin. And um, my friends are there through thick and thin. And, you know, I think the people that are there for me during the thin (laughs) have really kept me going. Um, You know, when you win a tournament and you have all these people texting you and saying congratulations, whatever, like that to me, it's great. And thank you. But you know, it's the people that when I lose a tournament and I have a really poor performance or, you know, something bad's going in my life. It's those people that reach out to me. It's those people that say like, I'm still on your team. I'm still rooting for you. Like you can do this. Like it's those people um, that still believe in me, even when I'm not having success that have kept me going. And um, those people are super important to me and they know who they are. And I think that without those people, yes, I would have quit. A hundred percent. I would have quit. And um, so, yeah, honestly, I, I don't take, I don't take credit for continuing to get through the hard times. I think that I've needed the people that love me and that I love to keep me going. And I fully, you know, I, I give them a lot of the credit. I give myself a little bit of credit, but I give them the majority of the credit. Yeah. You've also, you know, on the flip side, you've had some really great things happen recently. Um, you're a master's student. Mm-hmm. You know, did you graduate? So I have one class this summer to take and I have two in the fall and then I will have my master's in marketing. So, wow. Again, and you're doing this all while competing and um, moving around. You're now at the Beaver Dam RTC halfway, you know, across the country from where you grew up. Like you're doing all these things at the same time and your schedule has got to be full. So I mean, it's less full than like high school and college, honestly. So um, I do have more downtime in that sense because it's not as crazy as those two schedules were. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm definitely busy. I have a very busy summer coming up, but a lot of clinics and camps that I'm looking forward to. Um, You know, I try to fill my time with helping younger kids. I mean, last night I... I help out once a week at like the local like kids club over in Oregon. And, you know, my passion is coaching. I think that I probably will go into coaching someday. Um, Don't know whether I'm going to use my master's or go into coaching right away. Um, Might, you know, actually use my master's for a little bit before I decide to embark on my coaching career. But I love working with, you know, the younger kids, I love working with, um, you know, female wrestlers, high school, college, it's definitely a passion of mine. And, um, I've always loved like teaching and I guess, really? that's why I, yeah, I guess that's why I love coaching so much. Like I always wanted to be a teacher kind of like a professor, but now that I wrestle, I'm just like, I can't get my PhD and wrestle. It's just kind of like, <laughs> it's too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's too much for me. Uh, but I always was like, I'm going to be a professor one day. Cause I, I would be in class and I love to learn. So I love to figure things out. Um, hence all this information I know on <laughs> it's funny because I, I think I also said in my podcast, like I'm such a why person. Like yes. when I was, yeah. When I was little, 
my mom would tell me something and I'd be like, but why? But why? And she would just go on and be like, Skylar, just because, just because <laughs> Skylar. But like, that was never a good enough answer for me. Like, I need to know why I need to know, you know, everything about everything. So my, you know, um, fellow students in my classes and stuff would always make fun of me because um, I would always ask why, like we'd be in calculus and the teacher would be explaining the problem and in calculus, the problem has like 10 steps, but I wanted to know every step and like the reasoning for every step. Um, so that helped me though, because when I was studying with my classmates, I was able to explain it to them mm -hmm. and I was able to teach them. And so they love studying with me because I learned through teaching too. So I would be so open to teaching them because I would go and the night before I would study it myself and make sure I was able to teach it. So then I would use my little session with them as part of my studying because I would be teaching them what I learned. And it just like, you know, made it even more clear in my mind. And then I was prepared for the test and I really enjoyed teaching and so I thought that I was going to be a professor but now I'm like eh, too much school I've been going to school since I was five and I'm 25 I'm like mm -hmm. after this master's I am done <laughs> so, don't know what the future holds for me work-wise but um I do love coaching and um I do like marketing so I wonder what you were like what well I'll ask you what were you like as a kid on the mat were you asking why all the time too Right, oh, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like questions <laughs> all the time. Yeah. I mean, I'm like that in every aspect of my life. Um, and I think it's because I want to be very good at everything I do. Um, so it's definitely like a positive thing. I'm, I'm a perfectionist for sure. Um, I definitely want to talk about this on my podcast, too. And perfectionism can be very positive. Mm -hmm. And it could also be very negative as well. Mm -hmm. And so there are areas of my life where perfectionism has benefited me, um, like in school and wrestling. And there have been areas that perfectionism has torn me apart, like my body image, like dieting, like school. Sometimes I would even say and wrestling. So yeah, there's been positives to being the way I am, but there's also been negatives to being the way I am. And um, that's why I think balance is super important. And, you know, is being a perfectionist beneficial? Yes and no. It depends how you, how you use it. And I think now that I'm older and I'm wiser, I recognize that I am a perfectionist and I'm able to use it to my advantage instead of, you know, using it kind of to my advantage, but also self-destructing at the same time. Mm -hmm. I was able to eliminate that self-destruction part of being a perfectionist. Um, and I think that that has helped me a lot, but yeah, I definitely should talk about that perfectionism on one of my podcasts because definitely a thing that I've struggled with um, and that I've learned to overcome. And once again, probably something that everyone's dealt with. You know, you're sitting here talking about it. I'm like, yeah, I feel that. I've felt that too, you know, yeah. where it can be very positive, but also like you just said, self-destructive. Oh, yeah. Time. Like I, I mean, college is hard yeah. and I 
was a straight A student my whole life. And I just remember just putting in so much work to get straight A's. Like I just needed straight A's. And I remember being on the phone with my mom and I was so stressed about wrestling and school and I was doing both and I needed an A in this class. And she's just like, Skylar, what's wrong with a B plus? I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I was like, I don't want a B plus. I like, I need an A. And she's like, seriously, like what's wrong with the B plus though? And I was like, there's a lot wrong with the B plus. I need an A. And she's like, I'm just saying Skylar, like, maybe take like a little stress off of yourself. She's like, I'm not saying don't strive for an A, like go and strive for an A. She's like, but at the same time, like don't beat yourself up if you get a B plus, like it's not the end of the world if you try your hardest and get a B plus. And, you know, I think that I never was like, you know what? Yeah, B plus is fine. Like that wasn't my mindset after that, but it was just like, you know what? I'm going to, you know, do it the best I can and hope for an A and put in the work to get an A. But if I do get a B plus, like, it's okay. It's, it's not the end of the world. It's like, I'm still going to get a job one day, whatever. So, you know, I, I was really thankful that she brought some perspective into my life at, at that point, because it was just like, at that point, it was becoming self-destructive. It was like, I was losing sleep over 1%. And you know, I was not doing things in my life over 1%. So, um, yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, don't strive for A's and don't strive to be better, but also be like proud of yourself and what you've accomplished and, you know, enjoy the moment and be able to take the moment in and be able to take your hard work, you know, be able to appreciate it. And I think that for my mindset, for a lot of my life is always like, oh, I could be better. I could be better. And that's good. But at the same time, take a second to reflect and be like, I'm proud of me. I'm proud of me in this moment for what I've accomplished. Can I accomplish more? Yes. But like, let me be proud of myself right now as well. Um, and that's something that I've learned. Are you, are you proud of what you've done? And how far you go? You're wrestling on the. I saw you at the World Cup. I was there. You know that was awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't wrestle well at the World Cup, but yeah, of course, I'm proud of my wrestling. And you know, I know I have it in me to make an Olympic team and to mm -hmm. make world teams. I know that I do have what it takes. Um, and that, and you know, like I took, I just took six at the trials and. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, old Skylar probably would have been like, oh, six isn't good enough and whatever. But, you know, I didn't place at the open two and a half weeks before that. And then I was able to turn around two and a half weeks and go from not placing at the open and losing, you know, first round match to taking top six uh, and, you know, having a really good match with Adeline and totally being capable of winning that match. Um and just turning it around within that span of time, you know, I was super proud and I really looked at the positives of it. And I was down in the dumps after the U S open, like, dang, I just wrestled so badly. Like, this is not good. How did I go from, you know, all of the success that I had in the last year, like I won three international tournaments or something like that um, against 
I think I beat like three world medalists in the last year. And then I dropped my first match at the U S open. It was just, of course I was upset about it, but, um, I had to, again, like put a positive spin on it and be like, U S open was my second time at 72 kilos ever. Basically my first time, because I only had one match at 76 kilos in Egypt. And that was when I was sick and whatever. So it really was my first tournament at 76 kilos. And so just being a little more kind to myself and patient with myself and figuring, figuring it out. And I think that's kind of like, you know, a core topic in my life is figuring it out. And I love to figure it out. I love figuring it out. I love figuring out why. And I love evaluating and becoming a better version of myself. And that's exactly what I had to do after the US Open. Like, why did I lose that first match? And, you know, it was because I was wrestling like I was still 68 kilos. I was shooting in on these girls and they're bigger and they're stronger. And I'm trying to pull myself in. And am I strong? Yeah, I'm very strong, but... You know, I'm not, you can't, nobody's strong or in good enough shape to spend six minutes like this. Like it's, I was putting myself in situations that were not winning positions. And, um, you know, I got right back from that tournament and I was right back to work. And um, I, you know, said to myself like, okay, I have three weeks to turn this around and um, to learn from my mistakes. And, you know, in practice, my coach was like, no more hitting a knee. We're done. We're done hitting a knee. And so, you know, that those practices, I was just working a lot on snatch singles and, uh, you know, adopting the style that I need to adopt for 76 kilos and figuring out how to match my own personal style to the weight, um, which hasn't been easy. And, I don't think we talk enough about how hard it really is to go up a weight class, um, especially like a weight that's not considered heavyweight to heavyweight. Um, it's de definitely different. Um, and there's new challenges there. And I think apart from just the physical challenges, there's a lot of mental challenges. And for me, I think I deal with that more than maybe others do, but it was really hard for me to be like, I'm healthy at this weight and, to put that in my mind and to see myself maybe not as lean as I used to be, but knowing that I'm healthier than I used to be, um, that was extremely hard for me and very vulnerable, I think, because I already struggled to go out and compete in a singlet. I hate singlets and I don't like wearing them, especially, you know, in front of thousands of people. And so I think it was hard for me even just to put on a singlet and be wrestling a weight class 22 pounds heavier than I, I used to be. Um, so I think that the best way to overcome that though, is to just do it and to put yourself in uncomfortable situations and do the things that you don't want to do because the more, you know, you avoid it and the more you shy away from it, the harder it's going to be. And so I just had to, you know, mentally tell myself like, just mentally be confident, honestly, and just be like, mm -hmm. you know, this is, this is the way I'm supposed to be. I feel strong here. You know, I feel good mentally and physically here. And I just had to reiterate that to myself so much because I knew that there would be outside forces. I knew that somebody would say, and eh, I think you should be at 68 kilos or eh, you should be at this way. And, you know, old me would have been like, 
oh shit, maybe I should be at 68 kilos. Maybe they're right. Like maybe this is the wrong move, but I've learned to stick to a plan and know that that plan is where I'm happy and just, yeah, just sticking to the plan and not letting other people influence that plan, I think has been all the difference for me. And, um, I knew that going up the weight was going to be difficult, but that was my plan. And I'm sticking by that plan. And I know that one day it's going to pay off and yeah, maybe I'm learning right now and maybe it's going to be difficult at first, but everything's difficult at first. Everything is, you know, anything that's new and different is going to be a challenge. And, um, I have full confidence in myself that I will figure it out. And I think we saw that even from the open to the trials, like Mm -hmm. in the span of three weeks, I was able to change a lot. So yeah, that's kind of like where I am right now. Yeah. You know, there's a lot to unpack there, but, um, I'm going to wait because I think this is going to be stuff that you're going to talk on your podcast. So let, I want to let people guide them over there. But one thing I do that you mentioned real quick that I want to touch on, um, that I didn't even think about, um, coming out in a singlet and like you just said, 22 pounds heavier, you pro- you know, it's only human nature. Like you see yourself in a singlet heavier than you've ever been. And you're like, whoa, you know, you're just kind of taken aback. Um, that, that had to be difficult. And you just said all the mental games that went along with it. And I should be at, should I be at this weight? Gosh, I look big, but that could be a good thing. You know, you look healthy. Yeah. Yeah. That was super hard for me. Um, I mean, like I talked about earlier, like my body has gone through anywhere from 147 in the last two years to 183. So I've had to see myself super tiny and the biggest I've ever been. And right now I'm somewhere in the middle of that. Um, But yeah, I mean, seeing all those different changes was extremely hard, especially when you like yourself at certain spots and you're not at the spot you like yourself at. And, but the thing for me was, I kind of like hated the way I looked no matter what, even when I was at my smallest, it was like, I was still insecure and I still didn't like wearing a singlet and going out there. So, you know, just kind of mentally telling myself, like, it's hard to explain, but I just have to like accept where I am in the moment and, um, put less focus on my appearance, honestly, and just not care so much about how I look and, mostly just be grateful that I'm able to go out there and wrestle and I'm able to go out there and compete and that I am strong and that I am healthy and being so confident in that. Um, cause I mean, I definitely struggle with body image. I, I do have a degree of body dysmorphia. I'll look at pictures from when I'm competing and I'm like, dang, like I could be leaner or I could look better or I hate this angle of me or this is an awful picture like I wish they never took this of me and yeah I definitely have had all of those thoughts and more than that um but I've come to a point where I'm just like it doesn't matter like I'm strong I you know I'm able to go out to eat and not be afraid to eat like that'll trump any anxiety over any photo like it's just kind of putting things into perspective and figuring out like what my values are and figuring out like how I want to live my life. Like, is it worth 
starving to look a certain way? And is it worth, you know, not having time with friends and family to look a certain way? And no, I've come to the conclusion that no, it doesn't. And um, I also have learned that my body wanted to get bigger. It wanted to get bigger. It wanted to get stronger. And, um, you know, I love my body now and I love how strong I am and I love the mental freedom that a bigger weight class has brought. But, you know, if you told me two years ago that I was going to weigh 170 pounds and I was going to be happy with that, I would have told you that you're crazy. Like I literally would have said, I will never be 170 pounds in my life. Like I will not let that happen. And just like the fact that that used to be my mental space and that used to be um, how I thought is like just really sad. Um, And, you know, I wish that, someone could have really like implanted it in my mind that it's okay to be big and strong. But I think that I needed to figure that out for myself. And like I said, I don't think that anybody could have persuaded me. I think I had to learn on my own, but um, I think that my purpose is kind of, yeah, telling, you know, young girls, like I weigh 170 pounds and I am so healthy and I am so strong and I am happy at 170 pounds. Like does a number doesn't make you happy. Um, and I wish that I had known that. And I think that the more we talk about it and the more that we normalize it, I think the better it'll be for the next generation. Um, but yeah, that came with not caring what other people think and not comparing myself to others. Cause you know, even sometimes I'd like look at male wrestlers and I'd be like, oh my gosh, he wrestles 165 pounds and I weigh 170. Like right. mm-hmm. he's big and jacked, but yeah, I weigh the same as him. Like that's crazy. But then again, I'm also a female and I'm supposed to have more body fat than a male at 165, 5% body fat. Like right. it makes sense in the grand scheme of things. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a lot to have unpacked there. And I think that, like I said before, it doesn't just, you don't just flip a switch and I'm cured. You don't just flip a switch and my mindset is changed. I wish it worked like that, but mental, like changing your mental game doesn't work like that. It takes time and um, it takes a lot of practice and a lot of self-reflection and, eventually yeah time does heal but it it is it is a lot and I think that sometimes we aren't even aware we aren't we aren't aware of our thoughts and we aren't aware of our behaviors and um I think it's super important to be aware of our thoughts it's crazy that this isn't even taught like this isn't taught in school this isn't taught really to anybody. And I think we kind of go through life and go through the motions and go through the ups and downs of life without even learning like how to control some of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's tough, but like I said, it's one of the hardest things I've had to learn, but one of the best things I've had to learn. It goes along with caring less about whether people think um, when you start, caring more about what you think about yourself, then you figure out who you are because when you're caring about what other people, uh, excuse me, when you care about what other people say about you, you start to be who they want you to be and not who you want to be. Yes, exactly. 
Yeah. And that's why I said, I feel like I went a lot of my life not being even who I am. Right. Because I'm yeah. so, so impacted by other people and their opinions that I was just like trying to be so many different people at once that I could not be who I wanted to be or who I was meant to be because I was trying to be, you know, who everyone else wanted. And then, like I said, it's, it's an endless cycle because you please one person, you're not going to please somebody else. Yeah. Uh, and you're not going to be, there's not one person that's perfect in everybody's eyes. Like it just, it's not reality. Um, but I think that we can be good enough for ourselves. And I think that um, we have the ability to become who we want to become and become the type of person that we want to want to be. Um, and for me, it, it took kind of getting off of that path a little bit and being someone who I wasn't and having to hit a really low, low to be like, wait a second, like, this is not who I want to be. Um, and I think having values and, you know, having morals and all of that stuff is super important to ground you. So whatever your values are, like write them down, whatever your morals are, like write them down and, you know, kind of evaluate whether your behaviors are reflecting that. Honestly, I, I think it's important to have structure and be like, okay, well, if my value is honesty and I'm not being honest, well, then you're not being the person that you want to be. So if one of your values is honesty, like you need to be honest in all aspects of your life. And, um, I think that that was one thing that really helped me is just to kind of have a checklist of who I wanted to be. I want to be a good role model. I want to be honest. I want to be, you know, all of those things. And then I would just evaluate whether my actions and my behaviors were reflecting that. And do they reflect that all the time? No, I make mistakes. I'm a human being. Like I, I do make mistakes, but, and that's okay. As long as you don't continue to make those mistakes. And as long as you don't continue on that path, you make a mistake once. Okay, fine. Reevaluate, get back to your, your values. You keep making the same mistake over and over and over and over and over again. Well, I'm sorry to tell you that's the person you are now. If you repeatedly make the same mistake over and over and over and over and you're not learning from it, it does become who you are. It, it really does. Um, but I think that if you are able to become aware and, you know, kind of figure things out and learn from those mistakes and get back to your values, that's super important. There's nothing you can say to me Nothing you could do to me now Nothing you could say to me now Nothing you could do to me now yeah. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Let's Talk Wrestling Podcast. Special thanks to my guest, Skylar Grote, for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. Cover art created and designed by Kristen Gill. Please feel free to rate, comment, and subscribe to this podcast. You can check me out on Twitter, Instagram, and my brand new Facebook page to hear more of my content. And don't forget to check out my website at letstalkwrestlingpodcast.my.canva.site. And as always, be sure to tune in to hear the next guest of the Let's Talk Wrestling Podcast. Take care. See you next time.
The sky is the limit. I'm out of my way. You can't get me down. No time for the wicked. If you're in my line, I'ma go around the side and still bring it. The sky is the limit. I'm out of my way. You can't get me down. No time for the wicked. If you're in my line, I'ma go around the side and still bring it. The sky is the limit. I'm 